Here's what's coming up on today's show. Today, Mark and I are going to talk about five unfortunately common beneficiary mistakes. Are you making one of these beneficiary mistakes? If so, it could cost you and your loved ones dearly. We want to help you avoid making simple mistakes that can completely spoil an otherwise well-done retirement plan. It's easy to get lost on the way to retirement. Things like taxes, improper planning, and excessive market risk can all lead you astray from your goal of a successful and happy retirement. That's where Liz Whittaberry comes in. She's a holistic financial advisor and the founder of Best Path Advisors, and she can help guide you to a better financial path. This is Retire on Your Best Path with Liz Whittaberry. Welcome to this week's edition of Retire on Your Best Path with Liz Whittaberry and myself here to talk about five beneficiary mistakes. We're going to get into this conversation this week here on the show with Liz. And of course, if you've got questions or concerns, as always, check in with a qualified professional like Liz, who is the founder and financial advisor at Best Path Advisors. Find her online at bestpathadvisors.com. That is bestpathadvisors.com. Liz, how you doing? I am good. How are you? Doing pretty good. We're taping this right after Mother's Day, so hopefully you had a lovely Mother's Day as well as all of our moms that are listening to the podcast. I did. I did. And I got to talk to my mom, so that's oh, always nice. special. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's uh, mine's 82, and so we, we bring her over. She comes over just about every week anyway. So she's like, what are we doing special this weekend? And I said, "We're same thing we always do, having you come over and hang out. <laughs> She's like, okay, that'll work. <laughs> she didn't really want to do a whole lot anyway. So, but uh, well, she sounds lovely. Yeah, she's funny. She's a pistol, that's for sure. Hey, let's jump into our topic this week because uh, you know, you know, even thinking about Mother's Day, right? Or and, and as her parents are aging or whatever, you know, sometimes we're updating things and changing things, and there's lots of reasons why we might come across. Uh, a need to make an update here. And these are some simple things often, Liz, that can really cause people a lot of heartache and issues and money and everything in your retirement strategy, whether it's while you're still here or even after you're gone. And many of these things can be done pretty easily and and really uh, almost at no cost to make some of these changes. Uh, and it just saves a lot of heartache. So let's jump in and talk yes. about a few of these. Um, we'll kick it off with naming minors as beneficiaries. Maybe not something that happens as often for for clients that are you know retirees or pre-retirees, but there could be some reasons why you have minors on there. What's some issues and things to be concerned about here? Well, under the law, if you name a minor as a beneficiary, they're not going to be able to receive that benefit until they're at least eighteen or twenty-one, depending on the state that you live in. Okay. Here in Texas, it's eighteen. You know, and, and like you say, retirees may not have children that are minors, but they could have grandchildren that they want to name, and you can't name them directly in as a beneficiary of an account mm -hmm. and have them receive that. It will be placed in a uniform gifts to minors account, and they'll have to be a guardian that's monitoring that. And so you want to think through that because there are other approaches uh, to to handling that, but I think... On top of that, you really want to think through, when do you want them to have the money? Because right, if you do yeah. name them, they are going to get it at 18, whether that was when you uh, would have given it to them or not. Sure. Uh, and do they and have so, kind of the wherewithal to handle it, especially depending on how much money it is? Lots of things right. to think about there. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, well, you know what? Actually, I'm going to move our, our list around in order a little bit, Liz, because I think number uh, three actually works better as number two. So I'm going to switch this real quick and roll us into this because uh, maybe what you should consider if a miner is on the you know your your ID on your radar to do uh, is having an alternate or a successor beneficiary. Not doing this can be problematic for for a number of reasons, not just miners. But I thought this was a good segue into this uh, this alternate or successor beneficiary. Because uh, maybe, for example, Liz, many people might have their spouse on there. Like, it's just me and my wife and mm-hmm. our daughter, right? And the odds of our, my wife and I passing at the same time are slim. But what if we were in an accident, right? And we mm-hmm. and I had her named, but we didn't have an alternate. So that's important, too. It is. It is. It is very important to ensure that there is a beneficiary at the end of that trail, whatever that trail may be, so right. that there is somebody that's named. Because if you don't have a living beneficiary that can inherit, then it's going to have to go through some sort of probate process, and the court's going to have to make a decision, and they'll have to look to law to say, well, what does the law say? Who should be the next person that would receive this uh, under the uh, law? And that may or may not be you know, how you want it to, to flow mm-hmm. or they'll, it'll flow according to your will. If you do have a will, some people don't do, some people don't, um, yeah, but it'll have to go to court. Yeah, for sure. It'll have to go to court. And it, like you say, it's very easy to add successor beneficiaries to a 401k or an yeah. IRA. It doesn't or cost you anything, account. right? Yeah. It's just another spot on the form. Mm-hmm. But there are assets and accounts that don't make it easy for you to name that successor beneficiary. Oh, okay. And a couple of things I'm thinking of are I-bonds for one. Mm. You can only name one beneficiary on an I-bond or a joint beneficiary, but you can't name multiple layers of beneficiaries on uh, an I-bond. Good to know. And that has come up because I-bonds are now very, very popular Another would be real estate. Real estate doesn't have really, uh, you know, the ability to add layers of beneficiaries on huh. uh, directly on because it's a titled property. So yeah, it's I guess handled. that makes sense. But I guess you never really think of it that way, though, do you? Until you said that. I mean, like now that you said it, I think about it. I go, okay, yeah, I think I, I haven't seen that before, but. In your mind, you kind of go, oh well, surely we could name a sex, uh, you know, an alternate person. But that's that's a great point. Yeah. Here in Texas, we have now just recently enacted a sort of a beneficiary deed. Up until very recently, we didn't even have that as as one of the uh, common ways of handling Mm -hmm. uh, a deed. And so you can name, it's you and your wife, and then it goes to this successor person. But you can't continue to name alternates and alternates and alternates. <laughs> right, right. Um, so in in those situations, the in my opinion, to have a revocable living trust really is a better way to approach it because you can name the trust as the beneficiary of an account, or you can name the trust on you know the trust can own property. Um, and instead of you, it is still your property, but right. it's your revocable trust that's owning this property. And then within the trust, you can have all the layers of beneficiaries that you want and spell out the when would people receive it, under what terms would they receive it. So if they're younger, it's going to wait until whatever that age might be uh, and could be you know, spread out over some period of time so sure. they don't get yeah. everything all at once. Uh, so to me, that makes for a better way of approaching that. 
You know, well, with you mentioning trust, I think sometimes people hear that and they think, well, yeah, but I'm not rich enough for that. Right. And and I think trust has that weird misnomer to it that it's only for the really wealthy. But I mean, many, many people have trust and it does. You don't have to be a Rockefeller to have one. Correct. The revocable living trust is really just an alternative to a will. It's not. There are certainly hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trusts, and some of them are very complex and have reasons for enacting them to help wealthier people minimize taxes, avoid taxes, do some complicated estate planning. But a revocable living trust is an alternative to going through probate. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a way to pass your assets to the next generation, whoever your heirs are, and it provides some benefits that you know you don't have under the will they both they both end up getting you in the same place yeah uh, but the revocable living trust has more privacy and you can go back and put those layers of the beneficiaries in and make amendments and change that over time so there's a lot of flexibility that i I see people utilize yeah that's a great point for sure and it's actually a good transition point, Liz, to talk about the will because that's on my list as well. Uh, number three is not coordinating your beneficiary designations, your BDs uh, for short, if you will, with your will. And this is another misnomer too. People think, well, hey, I put it in my will. Uh, it's groovy, right? And no, right. you know, it's like the BD will trump whatever. It doesn't matter what you wrote in your will. Uh, if your beneficiary beneficiary designation, say that three times fast, <laughs> if that is um, listed as, let's say, an ex-spouse, that's who's going to get it. I mean, every financial advisor I know probably has a story of an ex-spouse being left on something, some you know sort of account, and it never got updated, and it comes back to be a problem later on. That is very true, and I've heard a lot of those stories uh, as well. And in our own family, my husband's uncle left my husband as the executor of his will. Mm -hmm. We found out when he passed away that that was the case, uh, which is often the situation. Sometimes people don't tell the person they've named that, hey, you're the executor. And because I'm in the industry, we would have asked some questions while he was still living to make sure everything was kind of put together. But we didn't have that opportunity. And he had left the will quite logical it was fairly up to date. It included everybody. He didn't have any kids, so he was going to his nephews and their kids. Right. The beneficiary designations were completely different, didn't match at all, and were so different that my husband's brother felt bad about it. And, and uh, I know that he, he ended up sending our two boys, the younger, uh, the youngest of the, mm-hmm. the line, a, a little bit of money just kind of as a, Hey, I don't want you to be left out. Oh, that's um, nice. It was very nice and, and not at all, you know, nothing that he had to do and nothing that uh, certainly that we expected. But that's a but, great point to illustrate how you can, it can be, you know, altered from what you really intended uh, if you're not yes. careful. Yeah. It was not what he intended. And then what happens is when people are trying to do like what my, what my husband's brother did. If it's a large sum of money, mm-hmm. then it can begin to eat into people's gifting limits. And, you know, there's other issues that have to be considered in those kind of situations. And I'm, I'm actually helping uh, a family right now that has a little bit of that in one of the accounts wasn't set up at an old pension the way that 
the rest of the plan was. And so, you know, we're just working through um, making things equitable for everybody right, to match yeah. the plan. But that becomes quite complicated. Oh, and it's sure. much easier to go back and make sure that everything has been updated. And like I said before, if you have a revocable living trust, then you can have that be the beneficiary of most accounts and then just update the trust. Mm -hmm. It updates everything. And think about the naming process here, folks. I mean, it's really, again, it's easy to do. Sure, you got to, you know, pick the people or whatever that case that, you know, might be in your family, but it's something very, very simple to do. And and it causes so much trouble if you do not, if you have the wrong names on there. And somebody taught me a couple of years ago um, the four Ds. Anytime you have one of the four Ds happen, go through and check your beneficiary designation. So if you have a divorce, a death in the family, a disability, or at least once a decade. <laughs> that's how kind right. of how, that's kind of how I remembered it. And I thought, well, that's a good way of doing it. And obviously, as you get it doesn't take much to change this, you know, to update this stuff right. when you have a major life event. So make sure you're doing that. Exactly. Just a little bit of paperwork. Yep. Uh, not the most fun thing, but easy to do. So let's move on to uh, our fourth point here. And you were talking about a trust. So what is the, I guess, the pros, cons, things to think about if you're naming an estate as the beneficiary? Yes, there's uh, quite a few issues to to be aware of. If you name your estate as your beneficiary, then your assets are going to go through probate. And that's going to give courts some say in how the assets mm-hmm. are distributed. Makes it there's public, mis- right? It does make it public. Of course, the court can use the assets to repay debts. Now, most of my clients don't have debts or or very minimal, you know, pay off their credit cards every month. But it is something to be aware of. And especially if you're talking to your children or grandchildren about how they're putting their plan together. Sure. You know, probate is public. It's going to take longer to navigate that process. But the other issue with naming your estate as a beneficiary is that the estate is not a person and doesn't have the same rights as a person. So if you're naming your estate as a beneficiary on your 401k, you just, that's an easy answer to put estate. Or if you're setting up your IRA or you have some kind of an insurance product, a life insurance policy or uh, an annuity, and you just name the estate on that. Well, the estate is not going to have the same ability to choose to defer taxes. If a spouse is the beneficiary of an IRA or a 401k, they can assume it as their own. They can continue that tax deferral for life. If your children or other individuals are heirs, then they get to defer taxes on those IRAs or 401ks for a 10-year period under the current law, which gives them some flexibility to do some tax planning the estate has five years. And that's, you know, that can make it much more costly and much more restrictive in, you know, what can we do on a tax basis here to minimize taxes and maximize the value that we're getting to our heirs. Mm, Okay. So, yeah. So a lot of little loopholes, it sounds like, uh, with naming the estate. So again, it, it's really important to have a complete professional team helping you with some of And now some of this stuff, Liz, it's pretty easy. Again, right? Like if you're just updating your 401, uh, maybe some insurance policies, but if you're getting into something more complex, you certainly want to be working with a financial professional as well as probably an estate attorney. Right. Absolutely. If yeah. you have a complex situation, you want an estate planning attorney involved. Yeah, for sure. And I work with a number of them to you know, make sure that 
clients are getting really good advice on that area. Yeah. Well, our fifth one is a really super easy one. Look, people are human. They make mistakes, all sorts of things. We have so much automated stuff nowadays. So a very simple thing to not overlook is just checking the application for errors, right? Making sure the name is spelled correctly, the right social security numbers are entered. That's important. Uh, It's not unfixable, you know, if if it goes through after something happens, but it's certainly just more trouble than it's worth. And it's an easy fix. Correct. And I would say it's important to use that full legal name that's on that individual's driver's license, something that matches their legal documents. We have so many people that have a nickname that they go by, and it's very easy to just put that, uh, but it needs to be the full legal name. The other thing I'd say is, as you're going through this process, we talked about verifying those beneficiaries, you said, at least every decade that would be a good minimum amount of time. Mm-hmm. You might even want to do it every five years right, or, right. or more often. But double check that the institutions still have that information on file. I've had more than one situation where a bank was bought by another bank and the beneficiary designation didn't carry over, mm. or a bank had some kind of restructuring of their systems internally and some of the beneficiary information got lost, or it was just a very, very, very old account, and the paperwork, who the beneficiary was, was hard to find. They're going back to try and find very old files and and locate that. So just making sure that that is on hand. Again, it is fixable, but it can be a lot of work when they don't, the institution doesn't have it handy it's much better to verify it and keep copies. Yep. I tell people now, always get a copy. You'll go into a bank and sign a beneficiary form, and they don't print you a, a copy of it. So I say, take a snapshot with your phone and keep a copy of what you've signed and put it in your record so that you have that on hand with every single institution and make sure that that's with your legal documents so that your executor, your successor trustee, they have that right in front of them. They know who the beneficiary should be. And that will just make it so much easier than, you know, trying to track down the information. Oh, especially. The institution has lost it. Yeah. Right. Especially maybe years later or whatever. So again, these are, they're all pretty easy for the most part. So these are five beneficiary mistakes that could spoil your retirement. And most of these are pretty darn easy to fix. And of course, as always, if you need some help, talk with your financial professional. If you're working with someone and they haven't brought up to, you know, any of this stuff to you and said, hey, you know, we need to update this. It's been a while, whatever the case is, let them know. Ask them. Uh, And of course, if you're, Mm -hmm. if you need some help or a second opinion, that's what Liz is here for because uh, she's got her clients all set for this. But, you know, if you're if you're new to the podcast and you have some questions, get on her calendar, have a conversation, reach out to her at bestpathadvisors.com. That's bestpathadvisors.com. A lot of good tools, tips and resources, and you can schedule some time to chat with Liz as well. Uh, anything else we uh, might have missed, Liz, before we go? Well, I would just add that I think one of our biggest issues is just stopping to take the time to do this. Mm. You know, we always think we have plenty of time. And I fall into that trap, too. Um, And sometimes we don't have as much time as we think. And it's always, always better to have everything in order, not need to do anything, not need to use it, than to leave a mess. So set aside the time and make sure that you 
look at your beneficiary designations this year and, and make sure everything's in order. Yep. And that'll help you retire on your best path. And that's the podcast. So make sure subscribe, uh, to subscribe to us, excuse me, on Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever platform you like to use. Just type in retire on your best path into the search box or stop by Liz's website, bestpathadvisors.com. The preceding program is sponsored by Best Path Advisors, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through J.W. Cole Advisors. Best Path Advisors, J.W. Cole Financial, and J.W. Cole Advisors are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by Liz Whitberry should not be construed as specific tax, legal, or investment advice, nor as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Neither J.W. Cole Financial nor its representatives provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W. Cole. Investing is subject to risks, including the loss of principal. Due to volatility within the markets mentioned, opinions are subject to change without notice. Information is based on sources believed to be reliable. However, their accuracy or completeness cannot be guaranteed.